helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Remember the song, She Blinded Me With Science? Does anyone else hear that song every time someone refers to some government bureaucratic opinion masquerading as science? Remember when Dr. Fauci claimed that he was science? That how if you disagreed with him, you were disagreeing with science? How about the time the CDC and the FDA said that the quote-unquote vaccines would stop the spread of COVID-19? Whoops. Or what about all of the government-funded quote-unquote climate scientists telling us that we had less than a ten, we had less than ten years before disaster, decade after decade after decade. How much have these science hoaxes cost we the people, not just in dollars, but in rights and liberty? How long will the American people fall for the lie that just because someone receives a government paycheck, we should believe anything that they say, much less everything? Well, hello there, Everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study. This is where we read and study the Constitution. We teach the rising generation to be free. And I am so glad you could join me today because we're going to take a look at how the American people have been blinded by fake science. We're going to look at some current examples of it. And then hopefully we're going to see how to shed the scales from our eyes so that we can see for ourselves. Now, if we're going to talk about science... We should define it, shouldn't we? I mean, we all should have learned this in school, but then again, we're dealing with modern history. Science is is not a noun. It is not a thing. Science is more of a verb. It's, It's a process, the scientific principle, the scientific process. And it really is quite simple. You start with a theory, a general belief about how things work. You you from that you derive a hypothesis, a testable action that that fits within that theory. You then design a test to test your hypothesis. You run the test, you examine the results, and then when you evaluate the results, you modify the hypothesis to meet the results. But what happens when, as so often happens in politics today, we do that backwards? Oh, sure, we still have the theory, we still have the hypothesis, we still have the testing, But when we examine the results, rather than modifying the hypothesis to meet the results of the test, you modify the test to get the results that you want. That is what is called science nowadays. And this has some very, very damaging um, outcomes. See, we have to realize they call it political science, but there's no science in that. Well, I suppose there could be science when you're talking about how people react to things, but it's not a hard science. Now, many of you probably remember Title IX. We've heard about it. It's the set of laws passed in 1972 that's designed to protect women. It was designed to set up a a situation where um, women, women's sports, women's activities, women's educational opportunities were to be protected from influence from males. And the idea was very simple. See, there's a simple scientific biological truth that in general, male bodies are larger, 
stronger, have more upper body strength, more endurance, greater lung capacity. These are scientifically, I'm not saying there aren't exceptions. I'm not saying there aren't women out there, women out there who could beat the snot out of me. But when you look at it as a whole, men have a physiological advantage in many, many sports. And in understanding that under Title IX, they said, listen, if you have enough women that are interested in a specific, particular physical sport, you must have female teams that are separate from the male teams so that the women and the girls have at least a fighting chance. They, they, they aren't so, so outmatched by the men. They actually have a chance of doing it. And, and if you think about it, there are even situations where it's not simply for the academic opportunities, but for the physical safety of, the, of our girls and our women. Again, that was based on science. It was based on a, a biological difference between men and women. And, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean that one is worth more than the other. But all you have to do, if you want to test whether or not this makes sense, just look at sports where men and women compete in the same sport, but in different uh, teams. Think of, think of all the track and field. Track and field is excellent. Uh, swimming is another example. Tennis is another example. Uh, these are all sports where men and women both compete, but they compete on different teams. And pretty much to a sport, I can't think of a sport where the middle to low end of, say, the NCAA participants and male participants in that sport would not dominate on the female side. The, the, this Men run faster in general. The 100 meters dash, the, the uh, 110 hurdles, they, they put the shot farther. They throw the javelin farther. They long jump farther. They high jump higher. They pole vault higher. All of these are examples where the male body has a biological, a scientifically identifiable biological advantage. So when they wrote Title IX, they said, listen, you cannot discriminate against women. You cannot discriminate on the basis of sex because sex is a, a scientific biological fact. It's measurable. It's identifiable. But you see, we have an unscientific administration, part of an unscientific movement within this country. The progressive movement is anti-science. They don't believe in science because they're trying to tell you that sex doesn't matter. How many of you remember back in June, Education Secretary Miguel Cardona proposed a rule change to Title IX that, would, that, that said, among, among other things, this. It would clarify that unless otherwise provided by Title IX or the regulations, a recipient must not carry out any otherwise permissibly, permissible different treatment or separation on the basis of sex in a way that would cause more than de minimis harm, including by adopting policy or engaging in practice that prevents a person from participating in an education program or activity consistent with their gender identity. You see the difference there? See, the law says you cannot discriminate based on sex, but they say, listen, you're not allowed to discriminate based on gender identity. Sex is a scientific fact, right? It's a biological fact. In fact, with the exception of an extremely small minority, as in small fractions of a percentage, every human being ever born 
is biologically identified as one sex or the other. It's not how they feel. It's science. But you see, the Biden administration doesn't want to do this based on science. They want to do it based on feelings. Well, that's what gender identity is. It's how you feel. It's what you say you are, not what you actually are. And that's what they, they want to substitute. They want to let men, they want to allow men to engage in sports against women. They want to allow men in the women's locker room. They want to allow men in the women's bathroom. They want to allow men in the women's dorm room. Think about that. In an attempt to make someone, to deal with someone's feelings, they are going to put women in physical harm, uh, a chance of physical harm, in physical danger. Now, take a look at what uh, uh, the, the, the Penn State swimmer, I only want to use its name. I don't want to use his name. It's a dude. I don't care what name that, I don't care what it calls it himself. It is a dude. It is a man. He's got male DNA. He's got male biology. It is a man. And he was about 437th in the swimming ranks among his male competitors. Yet all of a sudden he says, oh, I feel like a girl. I'm going to have be, my gender identity is a girl. I'm going to go to the girl's locker room. I'm going to go to the girl's bathroom with his male genitalia. And I'm going to swim against the girls. And he broke records. He took trophies. He harmed these girls. Now, he didn't physically harm them in the pool. But you know what he did? He denied them wins, trophies that could have led to championships, that could have led to scholarships, that could have led to endorsement deals in, you know, in their future. He, he exposed them to his maleness in the locker room. What harm did he do there? Imagine you're a young lady. Maybe you've had, um, maybe you've had a, 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 some sort of, of attack, a sexual attack. Maybe you have issues. And there you are, getting changed, feeling very vulnerable, exposed. And a dude comes swinging by. What damage have they done? Not based on science, but on the antithesis of science, the idea that we're going to to um, we're going to pretend that sex and and gender identity that that feelings e are equal with biology, and of course they're not alone. the The University of Chicago Med School now offers a course on medical misinformation, funded by. That's right, your dollars with the CDC. So let me ask you, is it medical misinformation to say that boys and boys, girls are girls, and it doesn't matter how you feel, that doesn't change things? I doubt they'll say that. To me, that in, fact, in fact, I'm almost assured that they will say that that is medical misinformation. Or what about saying that the mRNA is not actually a vaccine because it doesn't meet the legal definition? Or that the Pfizer-Moderna shots are, um, uh, are gene therapy, not a vaccine. That they don't stop the spread. Would that be marked as, as medical misinformation? Do we now have government bureaucrats trying to tell scientists what the science says? Absolutely we do. And here we have the, the uh, Chicago Medical School. A Chicago Medical School 
University of Chicago Medical School that has a class to teach doctors to not think for themselves, but to simply be told what isn't isn't true by some bureaucrats. And it's not just the University of, of Chicago. So you remember, the Biden administration is still forcing toddlers to wear masks in their Head Start programs. Even though all the science, the actual science analysis, shows that cloth and fabric masks are useless against stopping the spread of a respiratory virus, any respiratory virus. You see, he doesn't care. He's got the toddlers in their masks. Even ignoring the science that these masks are breeding grounds for diseases, fungal and bacterial diseases. They're not worried about that. See, all the science says masks did not work. They never worked. It was wrong to force people to wear masks, yet that's exactly what this anti-science administration is doing. And in yet another example of how completely out to lunch this White House is when it comes to understanding science, the scientific principle, and just general facts in general. Alicia Jha, the White House COVID coordinator, said, I really believe this is why God gave us two arms, one for the flu shot and the other one for the COVID shot. You have got to be kidding me. The flu shot, remember, the flu shot that they push every year that is at best 15, 20% effective most years. And now you have the COVID shot, which not only does not uh, stop the spread, how many people have, you know, Biden, Joe Biden, uh, Jill Biden, They've been shot and boosted. They still got COVID. But it's also been shown to be to have serious adverse effects. And she thinks that God gave us two arms so we could get two shots. That's what passes for science in this administration? No, that's what passes for religion in this administration. And the religion is not science. It is not scientific. It is power. It is politics and power. Progressive politics and power. And these progressive politics and power are regressing us to a time when you didn't have freedom, when you were not a free person, when government told you everything you needed to know, everything you needed to do, and your job was to sit down, shut up, and do what you're told. You know, studies they've recently released show that um, uh, school, you know, 20 years of school advancements Improvements in reading and, and, and arithmetic were wiped out by the useless lockdowns for the last two years. Well, guess what? This COVID-19, this abuse of the word science has set back scientific discovery, has set back the, the, the effectiveness of science, has set back the trust in science, not years, not decades, centuries. Because I don't know about you, I don't believe a darn word that a scientist says anymore until they can show me that they're right. If a bureaucrat from the CDC or the FDA or the LMNOP tells me the sky is blue, I'm going out to double check because I do not believe them. They have destroyed science. And this administration has got the pitchforks and the torches and is leading the charge in destroying the, the scientific method and the effectiveness 
of, of science. Now, listen, you want to try some real science? Why don't you head over to HealthyCell.com? See, they looked at vitamins and said, you know, they haven't touched these. They haven't really changed them since the 1930s. It's almost a century. So they looked and they said, you know what? We came up with a better absorption technology. We came up with a better way of delivering vitamins. And they've got some great ones. Well, for example, just before this program, I took a focus and recall. It's great. It helps clear the mind. It helps you focus on what I'm doing, including doing this program. And it helps my long-term brain power as well. Now, you can try Focus and Recall or any of the products from Healthy Cell, and you can get 20% off your first order. All you have to do is go to HealthyCell.com, put together your order, Focus and Recall, Immune Super Boost, whatever. When you check out, use the code OUTLOUD. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud, and they'll give you 20% off your first order as a thank you. So again, go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order, and I'll be right back after this break. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution Study. I'm glad you could be here today. Today, we're seeing how the American people have been blinded by a falsehood that they call science. And we dealt with a lot of the medical and, and, and other scientific uh, uh, aspects in the first segment, you know, Title IX, gender, a lot of the medical stuff. So I want to start this segment off with something a little different. It's this idea of the, quote, green economy. It's green energy. It, it, it's this concept that um, fossil fuels are bad, 
and you know wind and solar are good and this need to drive people to an i to a, a a location not based on science not based on on data but based on fear and control for example california has certainly been leading the way in ditch in ditching things like oh natural gas oil other sources of heat nuclear in in um in exchange for wind and solar. Now listen, I don't have anything inherently against wind and solar power as an option. But like any option, it has its pros and its cons. Uh, wind and solar work uh, without uh, generating any, any, other, um, any other pollutants at the generation point, okay, but there's still cons to them because a lot of the material needed to make these these wind plants and and solar farms are not only damaging to mine but toxic to dispose of and of course we've got this other little problem um wind farms don't make electricity when the wind doesn't blow solar farms don't make electricity when the sun doesn't shine and the world does not have enough battery capacity to store up that energy for those times when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. I can't remember where I heard this, but I remember hearing somebody say, all the battery power in the world, if you take every battery that exists in the world, it would have enough electricity to run the world's power grids for exactly one second. So think of it this way. Uh, I don't know if California government officials realize this, but um, Californians use electricity when the wind doesn't blow and when the sun doesn't shine. That even to this day, in order to have a wind and solar farm, they are, I believe, most required to have a fossil fuel energy source on standby for when the, the wind and solar don't provide enough power. So here you have California going completely. We've got to get rid of it. They've gone so far as to say they're going to ban the purchase of new gasoline-powered vehicles starting in 2035. All of this push, all of this government, quote-unquote, experts, all of these, quote-unquote, climate scientists have been lying to us for years about the dangers of climate change. All of this nonsense, now they are using this fake, false science as a fear factor to get you to give up, well, not even to give up, to steal from you the blessings of liberty that come from abundant, clean energy, or abundant energy, period. Let's face it, natural gas, even the coal we use in this country, is not as dirty as, it, as is used in other parts of the world. You've got natural gas, you've got nuclear, but no, that's not good enough for you. We've got to get rid of all of that and make you dependent on these sources that th th this mythical green technology that doesn't exist yet. So days, literally days after telling the Californians that they were going to ban them from buying new gasoline-powered vehicles, they also told California residents to not charge their electric vehicles unless they needed to because they didn't have enough power in the grid. It's California... There's a heat wave going on. And believe it or not, human beings don't like it when it's really, really hot. We tend to like this stuff called, uh, oh, that's it, air conditioning. And that air conditioning uses electricity to cool and dry the air, to make it more comfortable for us humans. 
But you see, they don't have enough power in the grid to do all that. See, when I worked in IT, when I worked in data centers, when we were designing a, a data center, we were figuring out the capacity of data center, we always looked at what was the maximum amount of power we could possibly consume. That's how we judged how much power we needed to bring in. And if the data center could not supply all the power we could possibly consume, well, we had to figure out how to scale back our systems to fit within the power envelope that was available. That's called, that's called science. It's called, that's called logic. California can't do that. They turn around and said, okay, here you go. Ba-boom, all the power you want. Um, sorry, we don't actually have enough power. We're going to ask you, we're, we're going to give you, allow you to consume gigawatts of power that we cannot provide. Sorry. Now, what happens when it's not simply the air conditioning that needs power? What happens when these gasoline-powered vehicles start dropping off the market and more and more people are buying electric vehicles? Do you think California's power problem is going to get better? Do you think as they take more and more... Now, they actually postponed taking their last nuclear power plant offline because they said, uh-oh, we don't have enough power. What happens next year when they've gone through... When the heat wave is over and the Californians say, great, we can take that nasty, rotten nuclear power offline and we'll just be... We'll be green and there'll be unicorns and sunshine and lollipops and everybody will be happy. And then next year it gets hot again and there is not enough power. What happens when it's not when it's no longer? Listen, don't charge your electric vehicle unless you need to. What happens to? Um, yeah, we're just going to have to have blackouts because we don't have enough power. Or maybe we just they, they decide to take over all your thermostats like they did. Uh, where was it up in up in Oregon? Was it? No, I'm sorry, it's Colorado, Colorado, where the the power company took over the the, the all those automated um, automated thermostats they'd been giving away. They took him over and said, no, you cannot turn the air conditioner down. 78, that's it. You're done. Is that what they're going to do? See, these unscientific policies, these policies based on myth and legend rather than science, do more than just make you uncomfortable. They do more than just leave you stranded on the side of the road with an electric vehicle that has no charge in it. It steals from you the blessings of liberty the ability to live your life as you see fit. But it's even worse. Because remember, this is about being blinded by science. And we've been, telling, we've been told that um, these electric cars are, are zero-emission vehicles. Well, except they're not. Uh, for example, when uh, Governor Newsom announced that, that uh, they were going to, uh, to make people buy, quote-unquote, zero-emission vehicles, they want 100% of new car sales in California to be zero-emission vehicles like electric cars. Except electric cars are not zero-emission vehicles. See, that, that's a false narrative that says, well, we're only going to count what comes out the tailpipe, and these things don't have tailpipes, so they're a zero-emission vehicle. Except that's not how they work. See, the EPA does what they call life cycle assessments, or LCAs. And the idea is to look at the cumulative environmental impact of all stages of a particular product. Now, guess what? Electric vehicles, the manufacture, charging, operating, and disposing of electric vehicles puts out more uh, of, of these 
um, major category pollutants than a conventional gasoline-powered vehicle. 26% more fine particular matter. 20% more human carcinogens. 61% more carcinogenic toxicity. 31% terrestrial eccentricity, I'm sorry, ecotoxicity. 39% fresh water ecotoxicity. And 41% marine ecotoxicity compared to a petroleum, a gasoline-powered vehicle. That's right. Electric vehicles are poisoning the planet. They are the opposite of green. They do more damage to the environment than your gasoline-powered vehicle. But you see, they're not interested in science. They're interested in politics. And they want you to use wind and solar. They want you to use electric vehicles. And they're going to push you to that and ignore the science. Because if they did science, they'd look at it and say, okay, we have the life cycle of a, of a gasoline-powered vehicle. We have the life cycle of an electric vehicle. Huh, that's worse. Now, that means one of two things. Either these people are scientifically illiterate, uh, that, that, that are making these claims that electric vehicles are zero-emission vehicles, or their goal is not actually to green the planet. Their goal is something else. I don't know. Now, it could be that they've got, well, like, remember Al Gore had invested all that money in wind and solar about the same time he was telling people that global warming was going to kill the planet and we need to move to wind and solar? Yeah, it could be something like that. I don't know. But think about it. They're saying that the science says we're all going to die in 10 years. And then in another 10 years, and then another 10 years. You know, I talk about it a lot because I dealt with I've dealt with computer models in the past. And the the climate change models are some of the worst I've ever seen. See, understand, all a model is, it's a computer algorithm to predict something. You put data into it and data comes out of it. Now, there's since I was a, a wee programmer, we were taught garbage in, garbage out. Gigo. If you put garbage data into your algorithm, you're going to get garbage data out. And one of the things about the these climate models, there's just two very important things. One is they cannot account for all the factors that impact client, climate. In other words, they can't put all the variables in because they don't even know what all the variables are. So you know what they do? They guess. They're called they're called variables. They're, they're called variable inputs. They adjust them. And you know the interesting thing is they don't adjust them to match reality. They adjust them to match their desired outcome. Do you know how I know this? There's a Russian model that has been pretty good. I think it's been close to 70 75% accurate when you put in older data into the model. What does it look like today? The model, about 70 75% of my memory serves um, it accurately predicts the weather, the, the, the climate at a specific time. So it's about 70, 75% correct. They ignore that. They go to the ones that are 10, 12% correct or less. How do I know this? Well, it's, it's real simple. Uh, I do this thing called science. I, I, I do the scientific process. See, they have a hypothesis. They told me in the 1970s that by the year 1990, I was going to freeze to death. And I didn't. 
Then the 1980s, they said, oh, well, maybe you'll freeze to death. But you know what? You're going to sweat to death. We're going to, it's going to burn up. Manhattan will be underwater. Uh, you know, Japan will be underwater. And in, by 2000, we're all gone. And it didn't happen. They said in the 1990s, in the 2000s, in the 2010s. They have been wrong over and over and over again. So by my test, their hypothesis is garbage. So I ignore it. It's useless. But the problem is people that are making policy are still following this garbage model, this garbage excuse for science. And just waving, it's science. You have to pay attention to us. They're blinding us from the truth by calling it science when it is actually the antithesis of science. It is anti-science. Now, those of you who used to watch Star Trek knows what happens. If you mix matter and antimatter, it explodes. It annihilates itself. When you mix science and anti-science, something gets annihilated. The myths, the legends... The, 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 the narratives that we're all going to die disappears when you mix the anti-science with real science. Now, Paul, how are we supposed to know the real science? We listen to scientists. That's the problem. See, the problem today is what they refer to as science is actually scientism. It's the word of scientists. And we have allowed the government actors to take over science. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. See, the Constitution says that Congress has the power to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. That's Article 1, Section 8, Clause, what, uh, I think it's like 8 or 10, somewhere around there. In other words, Congress can issue patents and copyrights. That's it. But people looked at this and said, oh, Congress can pr promote the progress of science and useful arts. So Congress is going to spend money not simply to protect their, the, the authors and the inventors, but to actually generate their own science. They offer grants. And there's an old saying, he who pays the piper calls the tune. So guess what? When you have a government agency that says our purpose in life is to prove climate change. Here, here's a few million dollars to run a test. We want to find climate change. Go for it. That's not science. That's bribery. That's the reason why the Constitution did not authorize Congress to spend taxpayer money, your money, looking for science. To run tests, to issue grants. It's a crime what they're doing. But the American people don't know any better. So now, just listen to the scientists. Ask them, how much time do they spend trying to get government grants? Most of what passes for science nowadays is either paid for by government grants or by corporate grants. Corporations funding their own research. And the interesting thing is, the government has, has their own political agenda. Corporations have their own corporate agenda. You know what they don't have? You know what is not in their interest in all that they're doing here? Science. Science has been lost. But we get to put the, the label, the moniker, 
we wrap it up saying, oh, see, this is science. We're doing, we're doing science, so you must listen to us and obey what we say because, well, we did science. Sounds to me more like uh, a toddler saying, we made dinner. Oh, boy. Now, listen, I've taken another break, but before I do, you know, I hope you're finding this, this information helpful. I hope we're exposing you to new ideas. You know what you can do? Do me a favor, share them. In fact, head to americaoutloud.com. You'll find all sorts of articles and videos and podcasts and stories. It's great information for you, but it's really important that you share this. Take this information, friends, family, social media, wherever you can, share it so that other people can find out the truth, so that other people can test their hypothesis, and so that other people can engage in true scientific processes. And by doing that, you will help secure the blessings of liberty, not just for yourself, but for your posterity. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulvidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. How the spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America out loud. Now we invite you, friends, to invest some of your time with our magnificent family of experts, their minds and voices. It's all back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back, everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study. You know, we read and study the Constitution, and it's, it's part about understanding how to approach government, how to approach things. That's what we do, it's why we study this. And what's interesting about the scientific method, the scientific process, is it works well beyond things you would traditionally think of as science. Sure, we talked about it in the medical field. Uh, we talked about it with, quote-unquote, green energy. But take a look at, at, at this, this logical process of hypothesize, test, analyze, modify. Modify the hypothesis, preferably. So let's, take a, let's apply this to something else. Now, believe it or not, I'm going to apply this to a piece of legislation. Now, news has been coming out for, for weeks now about the apparent collusion between uh, big tech between government and big tech companies, between the White House and the, the large social media companies. Uh, there's already been stories and evidence about the uh, suppression of information, the censorship of information. Uh, 
based you know, in at these companies for what appear to be political agendas. Of course, those political agendas always seem to favor a certain group, the, the progressive organizations of which the Democratic Party is their political party. So the question then becomes, okay, what would happen, hypothesize with me, if we allow news content creators to have uh, to, to be more able to negotiate and protect them from liability. In other words, what happens if you not only encourage news uh, organizations to work with these big tech platforms and then protect them, shield them from the consequences of any bad actions they might have? Well, enter the Journalism Competition and Protection Act. Now, again, let's apply a little bit of science. Um, my hypothesis is that the vast majority of legislation, the title is created to deceive, not to inform. In other words, the title sounds good, but when you look at the legislation, it does not do what the title suggests. So the title says, okay, they want to um, encourage journalism competition, and they want to protect journalism competition. That's what it sounds like, right? Journalism Competition and Protection Act. All right, well, what's it going to do? Specifically, this legislation would say state that a news content creator may not be held liable under the antitrust laws for engaging in negotiations with any other news content creator during the four-year period beginning on the date of enactment of this act to collectively withhold content from or negotiate with an online content distributor regarding the terms on which the news content of the news content creator may be distributed by online content by an on the online content distributor. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. So let's say uh, you're me, right? I am a content creator. I create posts. I create radio programs. I create videos. I create content. Now. Am I a news content creator? Let's assume for the moment I am a news content creator. According to this, if I were to negotiate with, say, Facebook on how my content would, would uh, be dealt with, whether or not content would be withheld related to my anything related to my content, then I could not be held under antitrust. But let's face it, antitrust laws aren't targeted at small people like me. But let's say I have a disagreement with uh, a large news provider, right? I don't care what it is. Pick a large news provider. Hey, let's just, for grins and giggles, how about we just say America Out Loud is now considered a large news provider. Let's say they have negotiated with um, Facebook or, uh, and with the, the distribution of their content. I bring in content and say, wait a second, they have negotiated to lock me out of the system to prevent me from getting the same traction on Facebook because um, because the, these two companies have negotiated together. Um, Congress says, yeah, yeah, we're not going to allow you to sue under that anymore. I can't be I, they cannot be held liable as an antitrust for doing this. Now, I have my own issues with antitrust laws, uh, especially the way they're written. But what you see here is we already have examples of um, uh, we have examples of government negotiating with social media to uh, suppress content. We have examples of uh, of um, social media uh, picking and choosing which news outlets they will 
promote and which they will suppress. Remember, uh, Washington Post had information. They had a story that was factually accurate that was suppressed by Facebook and Twitter. And now we're going to say, yeah, but you know, we're not going to allow you to be held accountable for that. Now, here's my problem with the uh, Journalism Competition and Protection Act. It violates the First Amendment. See, it's saying that it's denying people the right to petition their government for a redress of a grievance if they meet certain standards applied by Congress. So if I take the scientific method and I look at the past performance, I had a hypothesis, I tested it, I found an outcome, I tweaked my hypothesis, my test of this, uh, my expectation of this, is this will further be used to suppress non-corporate media, the, the, the smaller organizations, the whether it be the parlors or the, the locals or the true socials, uh, the, the One America News Networks, the News with Views, all these smaller platforms that are bringing an alternate point of view now can have the, the large corporations, the, the, the CBS, NBC, ABC, MSLSD, can negotiate with Facebook, Twitter to restrict the content of other providers. And Congress says, yeah, you can do that and we do, you can't sue. Normally you could sue, but we're going to protect you because uh, apparently we like you. Now that is my current hypothesis. That is my second generation, right? I hypothesized, I tested, I looked at the outcome, I've modified my hypothesis. Let's see, what do you think? Do you think my expected outcome of the test will be accurate or not? Well, let's take another example, right? Let's let's do this. Uh, I have lived through many False racial narratives. Uh, I was there with, um, uh, with Al Sharpton and Tawana Brawley way back in the 80s. Uh, of course, we have the Duke lacrosse team. We have the, uh, uh, oh, who was the young men that, that um, were shouted at by the Native American and everyone blamed them? Yeah, plenty of these. So when I see this, when I saw a story that said uh, um, in a game between Duke and Brigham Young University, BYU, the godmother of one of the Duke's players tweeted, my goddaughter is the only black starter for Duke's volleyball team. Uh, she tweeted this, by the way. While playing yesterday, she was called a racial slur every time she served. She was threatened by a white male that told her to watch her back going to the team bus. A police officer had to, put, uh, um, had to be put by their bench. This is her tweet. This is what she put out. Okay. Now, here's where life gets a little interesting. Now, again, is this possible? Yes. But remember, we hypothesize, we test, we observe the past. Uh, I've seen this done before where a lot of claims are made and the facts later don't bear it out. So let's wait and see. Now, apparently it came out that the, uh, the lady who t actually tweeted um, didn't would actually attend the game, she was repeating something, I guess, something she, well, all of me knows she didn't attend the game. Uh, she further tweeted that both officials and BYU coaching staff were made aware of the incident during the game, but failed to take the necessary steps, failed to adequately address the situation after the game. So, of course, this now becomes very inflammatory, right? Um, especially for BYU fans, if this was not true. 
But of course, corporate media picked it up and they shared it and they spread it, a.k.a. Jesse Smollett. Right? There's no evidence. Um, there's no corroboration. But it gets pumped up by the media. And needless to say, um, you know, there was a lot of, of tension going on. Now, shortly after the allegation surfaced, BYU released a statement announcing that after the game, a fan singled out by the Duke sideline for hurling racial insults at Richardson has uh, was banned from all BYU athletic venues for life. In other words, apparently there was one person that was doing this. They were identified. They were uh, pointed out by the Duke sideline, and they have been banned from all athletic venues for the rest of their life for their bad behavior. So what we have is, well, maybe it wasn't uh, a, a, um, a a group of people, as uh, as if as if you kind of implied in the original tweet. It was a single individual, and that person has been identified and punished. Now, what's interesting is as these this, the anger and tension are growing, in many cases fueled by corporate media outlets, uh, including Axios went so far as to hint that uh, BYU's public rejection of uh, the world's diversity, equity, inclusion agenda somehow played a role in it. Um, the facts of the matter said, no, this was one heckler. Um, that person was dealt with. That per and then again, using racial slurs to intimidate an opponent, I don't think it's a cool way to do it. But what you see is this whole thing blown out of perspective for what is, is in effect, one idiot fan. But what's interesting is look at how is how long corporate media fed the flames of this uncorroborated story and then ignored the truth until later in the day, until things had, had gone beyond. Um, it makes me think that maybe if we use a scientific process, maybe we shouldn't listen to a lot of the media when they say, this happened. Maybe we should ask them for proof as well. Maybe that'd be a wise thing to do. Well, let's take a look at something else. Now, hypothesis. The 2020 election had a lot of um, fraud. I'm, the, 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 my hypothesis symbol that there was a, there was a significant amount of fraud in several states in the 2020 election that may have impacted the eventual outcome. I don't say it definitely. I say may. Now, how could we test this? Well, you look at what at, at what the astronauts. Now, I, I've been told that oh no, there was very little fraud. It was the it was a, the cleanest. It was the most accurate election ever. It was wonderful. It was pure as a wind driven snow. Um, so let me test that. Was it was fraud all but non-existent? Well, let's take a look at Georgia for example. Now, the elections in Georgia. Well, they've been plagued by lawsuits claiming fraud, a massive amount of fraud. And how many of you remember, you know, ballots mysteriously showing up, boxes, uh, a ballot suddenly mysteriously appearing. And in fact, one person, uh, he's the founder of Voter GA, uh, uh, Gerald Favorito, uh, he was interviewed and he says, oh yeah, they've got multiple lawsuits and all these examples of fraud. Um, and and he, he even provided some evidence. Um, and he pointed out that many of these lawsuits are going against the county and state officials who claimed everything was just fine. In fact, at a recent event, he produced a video 
of the event where Georgia Secretary of State admitted that Trump won the 2020 presidential election. <laughs> and a little bit of irony, now uh, Mr. Favrito is also apparently uh, being accused of cheating in the election. I don't know. It's, it's crazy. Now, that the hypothesis is that there was fraud in the election, specifically in this case in Georgia. The test is, um, we look at the lawsuits. Are the lawsuits falling towards the people, towards the, the idea that people that cheated or that everything was fine? Well, apparently many of the lawsuits are going against the state, against those who say the vote was, well, the election was fine. Now, is this proof that there was fraud and that that fraud was sufficient to overturn the, or to change the outcome of some of the elections? Um, I would say it's evidence of fraud, not proof of fraud. But I'd also say it, is, it isn't enough evidence yet to say that the election was, was stolen, that it was overturned. But it certainly is worth modifying the hypothesis a little bit and spinning it back through the wheel a couple more times to see what is going on. See, just because somebody claims that this was the, the, the cleanest, most accurate election ever held doesn't mean that it's true. We have to test that statement, test the hypothesis. I know that it's placed as a statement, but it's truly a hypothesis. We test it and we see if it survives the testing. And right now, the hypothesis that it was the cleanest, most accurate election ever, that's failed. The only question now becomes, well, the biggest question for me is, what are we going to do to not let it happen again? Are we going to learn from these mistakes or not? Now, I hope this episode has shown you that science is not a thing. It's not a noun. It's an action. It's a verb. It's, it's how you evaluate information. I hope you've learned a little bit about the scientific process, not simply that it can be applied to things like uh, medicine or environmental uh, items, but to other things, to, to um, elections, to policy, towards how we do things. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting tool to say, um, I'm going to take your statement, I'm going to test it, and then I'm going to modify my understanding based on the, out, the results of the test. Maybe if we spent a little more time testing what we're being told, testing what we're being commanded, testing the laws to see if they actually meet the, the standard of the supreme law of the land, Maybe we would have fewer issues with, um, well, with the world in general. I'm not saying magically, you know, the, the donkeys and the elephants are going to hold hands, sing kubaya, and go riding off into the sunset. I'm not a fool. But it's enough for you to understand the difference. So that when something comes at you, a statement is made, an assumption is made, to have the tools to go through and say, let me test that. You know, I, I just had one today where someone said, "Ooh, I, this guy, I saw this video and I made all sorts of claims about paying income tax. I said, that doesn't sound right, but send it to me. My hypothesis is that this, th this isn't correct, but I'm going to test it. I'm going to see what this person says. I'm going to test it to see if it is true. I'm going to go back to the original sources and documents to see if it's true. And guess what? If it's a good story, I'll talk about it here on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Now, if that's something you'd like to hear or you think your friends would like to hear, let them know. 4 p.m. weekdays on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network, they can hear the Constitution study. 
They can listen on the website through the media player or through our apps for Apple, Android, and Alexa. Also, they can catch it as a podcast on any of their podcast platforms. Just use your favorite podcast app and search for The Constitution Study. You'll find two, one for the website, one for America Out Loud. Do me a favor, though. Subscribe and rate the show so others can find it. You can find all the links on the website, americaoutloud.com, right there on the homepage. Do me a favor, share them wherever you can, and join us as we work to share the blessings of liberty to this entire country, from sea to shining sea. 